0: You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast.
1: It's time for straight talk about diversity, frank questions, honest answers, and real insights. It's diversity straight up with your co-hosts, Sadika Bodka and Anthony Arrington. Diversity Straight Up is a Corridor Business Journal podcast brought to you by Collins Aerospace, the City of Cedar Rapids, and Alliant Energy. On today's episode, Jeff Disterhoff, CEO of Green State Credit Union. I hate to say it,
2: but I'm just being honest with you, I don't know that I would have made that comment three years ago as much as I have
3: today. That's great. I think it's important.
0: And have we as a country or as a world gone so far on our diversity pendulum that... A white male exec can't say that he is diverse.
3: Well, I think that's a fair point. Um, how would you use your your privilege as a as a white male executive then to to help, as Sarah said, bring that pendulum back into focus so that that people in your position in 20 years from now won't feel that way? Right.
2: There are some things that I think I hope that I do today within our work environment, but there are some things that I want to do tomorrow, so to speak. And so, in our work environment.
1: We'll be right back.
0: At Collins Aerospace, we believe that fostering an inclusive environment makes our employees feel valued. It also helps our business succeed. By encouraging diverse viewpoints in the workplace, we're redefining futures. It's why we proudly support the Corridor Business Journal's diversity podcast, Diversity Straight Up. Diversity Straight Up is sponsored by the
3: City of Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids is a welcoming and vibrant city, encompassing unique attractions, exciting and diverse events, specialty shopping, a dynamic art scene, and a large variety of restaurant and nightlife options. You'll find that Cedar Rapids offers one of the best places to live, work, and play in the Midwest.
0: Welcome to the show, everyone. And before we get to our guest, we want to have a quick conversation politics in Iowa go hand in hand we had our Iowa caucuses February <laughs> <laughs> so how do you have conversation about politics in the workplace that is a difference that we all have
3: me personally um, you know I, I'll, I'll refrain from um, my political views but having the conversation I think is in, important uh, I think um, has to be handled with tact and and, uh, and care but I I think it's really an individual choice. I, I, I remember I always heard growing up, you know, that don't talk about politics. Don't talk about yeah, politics. I, do I don't believe in that. I, I believe don't you either. have the conversation about politics. The question becomes, um, if we if we disagree, then how do I react to you? What do I think about you now that we've had this conversation and we disagree? And I'm personally, you know, I'm on my own journey of, of making sure that I respect everybody's opinion because it's a very uh, difficult time right now. But I've, I'm a big believer. You should be able to have the conversation. Um, it should be an individual choice. So, I don't know. What do you think?
0: I think that this is a slice of you if you believe in politics as yeah. part of your identity, and I think that there's always a way to be able to communicate. So it all comes down to how you communicate. If you can have the tact, diplomacy, civility, and respect at the end of the day, right. you can agree to disagree, right. um, but I think that um, you need to have those conversations. Well, and I think
3: the challenge today is we're in such a polarized environment that it's really difficult to have those conversations because if we have conversations about politics, is it going to... Uh, affect the way that you think of me as a human and now how you decide how to work with me in the office and how to communicate with me and what you should say to me and who's getting a promotion and those sorts of things. And those, all, those are all, they're sensitive topics. And it I get is, that, but, I but I think,
0: you know, we can go on and on about yeah. this, but one last thing just to tie it up is that um, it's better to have conversations than to shut the conversations Agreed. off completely. So you have to have those crucial, courageous conversations, Agreed. the three C's. Yep, well, Welcome to Iowa folks. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. Well, let's, let's get started. We've got, a, we've got a great show underway. We're ready to get under the hood today with our, our guest, uh, Jeff Disterhoff, the CEO of Green State Credit Union. So, so put, on your, uh, put your biases aside today. We won't talk about politics anymore. Strap on your seatbelt. Let's take a ride with Sarek and Anthony and, and have this discussion about diversity.
0: Well, I can't agree with putting our um, politics aside here, but Jeff, welcome to the <laughs> show. We're so excited to have you. I'm
2: grateful to be here. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Well, just for our listeners benefit, I want to share a little bit about Jeff. Jeff (laughs) Disterhoff has served in the position of CEO at Green State Credit Union since October of 99. He has received his Bachelor of Arts in 1990 from Buena Vista College in Storm Lake, Iowa. He is a certified public accountant and graduate of Kuna Management School from Athens, Georgia. Ah, That's where my in-laws live. He's also been designated a certified credit union executive. He earned his Master's of Business Administration from the University of Iowa Henry B. Tippie School of Management in 03. Jeff's work experience includes tenure at KPMG Pete Morwick, as well as McGladry and Poland as a CPA specializing in financial institutions audit work spanning from September 1990 until hired by the UICCU which is also known as the University of Iowa Community Credit Union before they changed their name to Green State Credit Union for our listeners. But Jeff and his wife Missy make their home in North Liberty, Iowa, and have two adult children. But as he just indicated to us um, off line, is he is an empty nester. So welcome to the show, hey, Jeff. Thank you so
2: much. <laughs> Glad to be here. Thrilled for having you.
3: Well, let's get right into it, Jeff. I I was so excited to have you, and I, I remember our conversation when I came to to see you. I think. Um, The the, the thought in your mind, something along the line was, I'm not diverse. I don't really think that I should be having that conversation. And and the more you and I had that talk in your office and we got to talking about the concept of the show, and it was really about leaders and how leaders have discovered diversity and equity and inclusion in their lives and how that's affected them as leaders. And so as we begin to talk about that, things begin to resonate about you outside of just yeah, uh, Outside of just Green State. So can you talk about what your thought was, where your mind was when we were going there? Yeah, a little bit. I
2: mean, I think uh, I'm perhaps like some other folks in that. Uh, I have this uh, preconceived notion of what diversity is, right? Maybe it's ethnicity or religion or, or place of origin. But as I stepped back and, and looked at our own organization, it dawned on me that we do have where some areas of success and some areas of of not success. And where I, I see us having success is in diversity in gender or diversity in age, maybe diversity in income, hopefully diversity in thought, which I think is an often overlooked part of what we do. I still think we have a ways to go, however, in terms of diversity in ethnicity, for example. And here in Iowa, that's something you've got to be very proactive and deliberate about as opposed to reactive to. And so At the same time, even sexual orientation, uh, an often-discussed topic, especially more so in Iowa City uh, than other parts of the state, Um, those things resonate with me. And so I I do think, in some regards, we maybe weren't as far behind as I originally thought when I was approached for this podcast. I still think we have many strides ahead of us, but there may be some areas where we're not as far behind as I originally thought.
3: And so let's—to expand on that— I know when we were talking, you you brought stats out and you said, this is, we're not good enough. So from your perspective as a leader, then, what are you doing personally? What what can you do to help drive that? Or what are you thinking about as you think about those numbers? And, sure. Um,
2: well, there's some things that we've done, and there are some things that we still can do, right? And so you know, I've I got a list here of things that we do within the organization, and it, my sense is they're not all that different than what you would see for a lot of entities in Eastern Iowa, right, whether it's... Multicultural Day, Diversity Panel. Um, we uh, we had a group uh, study of a book called The Loudest Duck uh, in the past year led by our Diversity Inclusion Committee. And so those are probably some of the things that you might find in a lot of organizations that are trying to embrace diversity. But at the same time, I still think there are so many more things that we, and quite frankly, I personally, should be doing going forward. While I feel great about our culture and our values, our values specifically call to the importance of diversity in the workplace we as an organization and we quite frankly as a society need to do a better job of making the business case for diversity it's there the business case is clearly out there for the importance of diversity we're just not out there beating that drum as much as we should and so that falls back on me as the leader of the organization to do a better job of getting that out in front of people
0: so I guess I want to ask for our listeners what do you think that would look like
2: I don't even know. To be honest with you, Sarah Guardial, who's our board chair, has done a great job of, of stressing the importance of diversity, as has Fred Mems who's on our board. Um, so I know the business case is out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we just need to get it indoctrinated into what we do. We need to do a better job of sharing it. And so quite frankly, that's as simple as me going back, digging out the research and making sure that research is in front of all of our staff on a more regular basis. And quite frankly, I just, I just haven't done that as much as I should. So the data's out there. It's just not being shared enough.
0: So do you think by sharing the data, that it's going to connect the heart? Well,
2: you know, for some people it it will and some people it won't. You know, as you probably can attest to, there are some folks that are going to be motivated by the head and some that are going to be motivated by the heart, right? Mm -hmm. And so for those that are motivated by the heart, my my sense is they might already be early adopters in terms of uh, embracing diversity. It's the ones who might think of this through their head that probably need that, uh, I won't say convincing, but that education, if you will. And I think that research can get there for us. So...
3: So Jeff, the experience—I think that head and the heart. Good question, Sarah. I think as you think about that, um, a lot of um, things that come from the heart come from our upbringing or uh, come from experiences that we've had outside yeah. of the walls of our office. Yeah. Again, I, don't, I remember we were when we were having that conversation. We were talking about other underserved populations, and I think I mentioned to you that that the fifty-five-year-old white man is diverse as well. Yeah. Um, and it's important that you recognize that um, yeah. there's that color in the coloring box. We had that that yeah. conversation, but. Yeah we were talking about other underserved populations and we mentioned the LGBTQ community and and I saw a light go off in your head Mm -hmm. and you mentioned a a story. So is there something in that, in the LGBT community that you've had an experience with that affected the way that you think? There has been. And I can't go into a great deal of specifics, but
2: there has been. And and I just speak in full candor. um, You know, I, I grew up with one set of beliefs and then here in the last few years, I've got a completely different set of beliefs. And so i'm not saying that one is right or one was right or one was wrong but i spent 48 years believing one thing and i've spent the last three believing something completely different and so when it hits close to your home when your sample size is one uh you tend to look at things from a different perspective and i clearly have a different perspective on that community than i did three years ago and i'm very proud of the perspective that i've got today very much more supportive and abrasive of it and so i don't i hate to say it but i'm just being honest with you i don't know that i would have made that comment Three right. years ago, as much as I am today,
3: and that's great. I think it's um, it's important, uh, and we talk about the journey and and learning. We we talk about that, and so that's that's we're all learning. And well, you even
2: story. you started off the conversation talking about uh, you know the politics uh, here today and everything, and so right. I, I, I I encourage folks. First of all, I'm really glad you bring the, the topic up, but unfortunately, I think in today's uh, day and age, we live in a society where where we are trained, we are born and raised to not talk about religion or politics, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. we. We sterilize the conversations for so many of our of our youth growing up. So by the time they get to our ages, right. they've not had the practice in having those um, in the, the practice in having those conversations. And so, um, the first step is do it with care and with candor. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, I think that uh, when you indicated a journey, mm. it's for the individual as well as companies. And you said forty eight years, you had certain belief systems. Yeah. But you also show to our listeners that that can change and it can be fluid. So where I'm going with this is that we are seeing brands take stance with what their values represent, whether that is Nike, Chick-fil-A, and so on. And we know that it has an impact on their customer base due to the purchasing power. Yeah. Uh when it comes to credit unions, you're locally owned and operated by your membership. Mm-hmm. That also means that you want to give back to the community because that is who makes up your yeah. membership. You operate in Iowa as well as in Illinois. You have many branches throughout. That also means that the communities that you serve are not cookie cutters. They're very different. No. Would you say they're very different? Yeah, Jeff? Very much so. So you probably know where I'm going with this question. Is that how do you support certain causes in the community that aligns with your values but may alienate some of your customer base as they may not agree with the values the cause or event may represent, whether yeah. for example it is Pride Fest.
2: Yeah, that's extreme. That's an extremely difficult question to answer. Not not so much, um, not so much in terms of you know, what this can cross the wrong way. But I'm less concerned about alienating our customer base or potential customers. As a credit union, we are literally owned by the 210,000 people that do business with us, and there's no way that I can codify or simplify. Their views yeah. into a in right. a handful of beliefs, and so while I may have strong feelings on you know underserved pockets of the community or or ethnicities or racial inequality or income inequality, which quite frankly have strong feelings in all those, mm-hmm. I also understand that I'm the leader of a of a democratic organization that's literally owned by the two hundred and ten thousand people we do business with, and so fair, unfair, right or wrong i've got to be really careful and really deliberate about. The organization taking a stand uh, when it on an issue when it may or may not represent the views of Any one of a number of folks within the constituents And so it's a different situation as a credit union if only because we are literally owned by the people who do business with us and so It's one thing to alienate the customers But it's another thing to alienate your owners if I'm Chick-fil-a and I've got a smaller group of stockholders as long as those stockholders earn a fair return on their investment, they, I hate to say it, but they may not care what uh, Chick fil A's perspectives are. But our world's a little bit different. We are literally owned by each of those members, and so I've got to be doubly sensitive to it. Uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes I wish that weren't the case. Sometimes I wish we could take more of a proactive stance.
0: Well, it's really interesting because your membership is all of these members, and yeah. they all come in with different views and perspectives. Yep. And you say it's a very democratic process. Yeah, yeah. Has yep. there ever been a time where you, policies may not align with your own value system, Jeff?
2: Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. And, but again, I have to remind myself, it was a lesson I learned. Uh, this is more history than what you want to know. But uh, 12 years ago, we attempted to change our name to Optiva, and the, um, the membership voted it down. And that was the first time it was crystal clear, right kind of between the eyes, uh, lesson for me that we are a democratically owned and democratically governed cooperative and so my views in that situation, I was in favor of the name change. We wouldn't have come forward without it. I know you're asking about something more substantive than a name change, but that's an example of... It's part you know, of
0: your what, brand, so it yeah, matters.
2: It, well, the, the reality is it taught me a lesson, and the lesson was that we're a democratically governed organization. And so there are probably always going to be times with our employers for which our personal views may not be consistent with... And I'm not saying Green State's views don't align with mine. I just know that... Um, Green State may or may not be the best forum for me to express my personal views on on racial inequality, income inequality, gun control, or a whole host of, another, of other topics that are out there. So that's impinged upon me then to look for other forums, look for other venues for which I can take a stand, not as a representative of Green State per se, but just as Jeff Distroft.
0: That may be difficult at times, I'm sure, just yeah. because of your uh, role yeah. as being the CEO is sure you have that hat off if you are in the community and wanting to yep. go your own personal journey. Yep. Others may not have that perspective still thinking of you and viewing you as the CEO.
3: Sure, understood. Here's a thought I have. So I was thinking about um, microaggressions and I was thinking about water cooler conversations, what I like to call them. And, and as I think about recruiting and retaining talent, um, it's as important to recruit as it is to retain talent. And a lot of times talent leaves because they don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. in an environment culturally yep. comfortable um as a leader how have you run across those situations in your organizations where you've um heard or had a series of microaggressions happen to particular employees or particular um friends and ha- how have you handled that as a leader to to nip that in the bud so to speak
2: yeah i um, I, I hate to say it but or Fortunate or unfortunate, I haven't been a part of, or mm-hmm. seen in many of those situations on, on a firsthand basis. Do they happen? I'm, I'm guessing yeah. they probably do. We have 550 employees, but I am fortunate to be surrounded by folks that I think by and large truly emulate a, a respectful and a caring work environment. Now, that being said, I personally meet with every new employee that we hire. And so we hire once or twice a month. We'll bring in 20, 30 folks. And one of the values that we talk about in specific language therein is I, I make crystal clear, I want them to bring 100% of them to the work environment. I was never a fan of, of people trying to delineate or separate between their, their home life, their home person and their work person, right? And so I want you to bring your diversity and whatever that means in terms of your religious beliefs, whatever it means to the work environment, bring 100% of that to work environment because I, selfishly I think people are more inclined to give 100% to the work if they feel like they are 100 percent at work Mm -hmm. and i don't i want people to feel comfortable at work and i want to embrace those different ideas and so instead of shying away from the differences how can we figure out ways to embrace those differences and make them into the work environment so we we do talk about that very explicitly with every new employee we have so does
0: that mean that you also have a culture where people are able to um disagree oh gosh especially when it comes especially when it comes to the value systems we talked about that in a democratic process people are going to have different values that may not align necessarily with the green state or maybe some initiatives just because your communities are so vastly different. I guess I look back to your urban communities and your rural communities. I'm sure you probably see shifts that are happening in the population basis. Right. So I'll use an example. What does your marketing look like then if you're in an urban community versus a rural community? Yeah. Can you share a little bit about that and...
2: Yeah, I don't know that our, to the second part of your question, I don't know that we're sophisticated enough or to the point yet where, we're, where, where we are stratifying our marketing efforts either by rural or, or you know, uh, metropolitan areas. Um, we, we do take steps to ensure that our marketing portrays a truly diverse background, but I don't know that we're to the point yet where we stratify it or, or make a difference um, by each market. Now, the first part of your point, you know, does it lead to disagreement in the workplace? I sure hope so. You know, you mentioned the phrase uh, fierce or crucial conversations early on. Um, I can't remember if it was Kim Scott or Susan Scott who wrote um, crucial conversations or, excuse me, fierce conversations. and it talks about all of our communications should be evaluated on two axes. One, how much you care for the individual, and two, how much you're candid with them. Now, we here in Iowa, um, and maybe it's a Midwestern thing, we tend to be really good at the caring part. We're not excelling at the candid part in some parts or some parts of our lives. My daughter lives in the Upper East Side of uh, Manhattan, uh, works on Wall Street. Uh, most of her coworkers uh, excel at the candid part, right, the candor part, mm-hmm. but maybe in some cases not as strong in the caring part. And so, this the the you know the nirvana is to get to the point where you're high on both, where you truly demonstrate caring for somebody, but at the same time you can be one hundred percent candid with them as well. And I think here at this part of the country, not to make a, a geographic uh, bias, but we tend to be better at one and not necessarily the other. So I do hope there's some disagreement yeah. going on.
3: Talk to me about um, what Jeff does um, to ensure that he's uh, continuing to be culturally educated, aware um, when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement. Are there any books you read, any practices, any things that you do personally that helps you. And maybe it's, I'm going to make a conscious effort every day. When I come to work, I'm going to do X or. Yeah. I
2: don't, you know. I don't know if there's anything deliberately to have done in terms of, you know, books I read. I do try to read a ton, but I've, I must confess I haven't done a, a ton of specific reading on diversity. But one thing I've always had a passion for, and it started uh, in college. I had a specific instance that uh, that brought it on, but I love to travel and I've instilled that love with our family as well and our kids. And so uh, when you travel, not just in the States, but worldwide, you're gonna get immersed in a whole variety of, of ethnicity, religious beliefs, all kinds of diversity. And so uh, for me, I spent a month in Europe when I was in college and I learned for a small town kid from Eastern Iowa that there are a lot of different ways to do things and still end up in the same place. And so it was a real kind of life-changing moment for me, again, as a small town kid from Eastern Iowa that we can all wanna get to some place, but we can all take different paths to get there. And I think in some kind of odd way, that was the beginning of my path for diversity.
1: Alliant Energy is a place where I can create the future, where my skills, creativity, and new ideas make a better tomorrow. I help deliver the energy, powering moments that matter to you. It's where we care about the environment and our neighbors, a place where my talents and skills grow. My job isn't a job. It's my passion, my place, my purpose because i am energy see how you can put your energy to work at alliantenergy.com/careers
0: your international travels did you indicated it opened up your world perspectives yeah but yet you keep on telling anthony and i that you don't feel you're diverse
2: well i just i i, I feel i feel like we are diverse ish how about that but i also i I, I don't want. To, I, I will be the last one to take any credit for our efforts, either as an organization or me individually, for our our efforts in diversity. Because I still think we just have so many areas for improvement. And so I'm reticent to to sit here and say well, we got it all figured out. Because the reality is we don't. No. True. There are so many things that we could do. And yeah. so I just that's where I'm that's where I'm that's hesitant.
0: Good. That's where you're hesitant. Okay. We've had this conversation with even with the media, Anthony and I have had about the diversity pendulum. I feel that it's swung so far to one extreme that we can't say that each and every one of us is diverse. I'm so glad that you're here as a guest because I feel that each and every one of us is diverse. But I feel that you're hesitant in accepting that you're diverse. And have we as a country or as a world gone so far on our diversity pendulum that a white male exec can't say that he is diverse.
2: Oh, I, I think that's a fair point. Um,
0: and that breaks my heart. Yeah. It, it really does. I mean, because I think about crayon in the crayon box and all right. the colors and especially white is also equally important.
2: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that sentiment. I just Like I said, I don't know if I could say it any better. I just feel like we as an organization, we as a community, we as a society still have so much room to improve. And so until we get there, and and I don't know if we get there in my lifetime, your lifetime, our lifetime, but until we get there, I'm hesitant to, to give me or anybody else a ton of credit for it yeah i
3: think i know where you're going what i think i hear you saying is and i think this is an important topic is that as a as a middle-aged white man you 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 want you understand when it comes to diversity and equity inclusion engagement particularly in america um we know that minorities and women are are historically the most persecuted groups of individuals, yeah. relatively speaking, when it comes to race and ethnicity. And so what I think I hear you saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that you understand that as a white male, you're diverse, but you also understand that you have far more privilege. Oh my gosh, without question. As a, and so I kind of want to segue to that because I think it's an important point. As we, as we think about that, have you been able to use your power um, or your privilege as a white male um, or do you plan to to make a difference. In other words, you recognize that and I think that's where your hesitation is. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, I think that's and so completely fair. How would you use your, your privilege as a as a white male executive then to to help, as Sarah said, bring that pendulum back into focus so that that people in your position in twenty years from now won't feel that way?
2: Right. There are some things that I think I hope that I do today within our work environment, but there are some things that I want to do tomorrow, so to speak. And so in our work environment today, if we can truly create an environment of mutual care and mutual respect and be proactive in our communication about the importance of diversity, be proactive in our communication about bringing 100% of people's, their persona to the work environment, then that's something I can do today. And I think it's something that we do do today. Yeah. The, the Jeff of tomorrow, as I kind of look towards the second half of my chapter <laughs> here on, uh, on Earth, um, can probably be a little bit, not probably, can be more active, more proactive in the community around me, not as part of my employer, but in stressing the importance um, and and developing or dedicating some energies towards, again, improving racial inequality or reducing racial inequality, reducing income inequality, those kind of things. And so some of the best books I've read just this year, I say that I hadn't read any. And now as I reflect back, I I realize I've (laughs) I've read a couple. I read the new Jim Crow just a few uh, few months ago. Michelle Alexander, good book. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a book that my son pretty much... um, mandated that I read. He had read it himself and he said, hey, you gotta read this. And so uh, I also read a book on income inequality called Our Kids. A huge fan of that text. It looks at um, two families in each uh, in, in, in similar communities. So in identical communities, they'll pull out a family of haves and haves-nots and they'll look at the differences between those families and then they'll do a deep dive into the research behind how they ended up that way particularly in the United States. And so uh, I was having lunch with Sarah Gardial. I mentioned her name earlier as our board chair and, and I was talking to her about some of these books that I'd read And she had a great quote, and that quote was, her question was, uh, okay, what are you going to do about it? And so I'm still sorting that out a little bit. There are some things that um, I can support financially to hopefully make a difference. Maybe there will come a time in my life where time-wise I can get more involved and roll up my sleeves as well. But right now, maybe some of the best things I can do are find the organizations out there that are most supportive of reducing those inequalities and support those organizations.
3: Well, I think I heard a couple of things that you're doing that I commend you for. One, you're acknowledging your own your own areas that you need to improve at. I of which there are many. <laughs> well, I think that's important for other leaders to understand because I yeah. think the perception is, particularly when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, if you throw a bunch of money at it and you sit in a glass house, yeah. everything's fine. And, yeah. and we know that that's not the case. And so it's, it's good to hear um, that you're learning and you're on your journey. And I also was encouraged to hear uh, about a, a book that I don't hear many people reading, and that's the Michelle Alexander book. Yeah, the um, New Jim Crow. Uh, not so much that you read it, and for the listeners, this is a book about the the uh, the mass incarceration challenges um, that are statistically uh, proven in America. But what I thought was interesting is yet your son gave it to you.
2: Yeah, I, I didn't want to gloss past that point, <laughs> but you know, the, my hope is that my wife Missy and I have done one or two things right over the years, and the fact that I've got a son who's uh, very interested in racial inequality. I mean, it's legitimately a passion of his. Um, I hope then that that's a good indication that maybe Missy and I have made a few good choices along the way that's in awesome. how we raised them. I
0: know you mentioned um, income in inequality quite a few times here, Jeff. Is this something that um, initiative-wise that uh, your D&I committee has uh, taken a little bit more of an uh, Initiative with, especially being a community credit union.
2: No, the DNI committee has not. They've been focused more on on racial inequality, if mm-hmm. you will, which makes sense. I don't I don't fault them for doing so. But we, as an organization, that is an area where we can we can probably take a more proactive stance in terms of either financial literacy, financial education, taking risks on consumers with colorful or challenged credit. Um, you know, quite frankly, even here in Cedar Rapids is a great example. Uh, the immigration, uh, the, in, the influx of folks mm-hmm. into this community uh, with English as a second language, is uh, a fantastic opportunity not only for us to grow our business, but more importantly, to improve the financial literacy of these folks. They're, they're, they're holding down a job while they're trying to learn our language, trying to get everything else sorted out. And I do think we can be, we as a credit union, can be a tremendous resource for them as we go forward. In fact, um, we're just putting the finishing touches on our current strategic plan, and one of the key initiatives in there is to to be a little bit more comprehensive and a little bit more proactive versus reactive in our approach towards um, consumers with English as a second language.
0: I think some of our listeners may think that racial inequality as well as income inequality goes hand in hand sometimes. So I think from that perspective, initiatives sometimes may need to be co-joined.
2: They can or they cannot. You know, uh, I think income inequality sees no color, sees no ethnicity. And so there's a great—I I did totally lie to you, I guess, earlier. There's <laughs> another great book I read earlier this year um, called Storm Lake, and it's a fantastic uh, perspective it, it's to some extent on the northwest part of the state, but really the state of Iowa as a whole um, from an immigration perspective, from a racial inequality perspective, even from an income equality perspective perspective and then from an environmental perspective it was written by art cullen who was a pulitzer prize uh, writer up there and so we
0: met art didn't we, we art. anthony oh wow <laughs> we know art personally we did some
2: consulting up there okay uh, we did uh, Lake
3: and and um, we, we met our
2: great guy well it's a special read for me because i i did graduate from buena vista and so it, it really hit home for me um this summer and again just a, a great perspective on the state of iowa state where i was born and raised
3: yeah so before we get further i want to make sure we get our listener question and jeff every 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 um episode we typically have a, a listener yeah. ask a question so we have a question here from Laquan and Laquan says Gabrielle Union was fired from her job on television uh, because allegedly her hair was quote too black with all the talk about ethnicity especially the characteristics of black women how would you handle a situation in your office if an employee was being harassed or told to dress or act a certain way that didn't reflect their own personal values
0: and his listener is probably referring to um, America's Got Talent. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah, the listener said that she was allegedly um, fired from her job over some hassles regarding her physical appearance. Um, she had been being harassed behind the scenes about her hair being, quote, too black, and mm. she needed to change her, her hair. We talked a little bit earlier about bringing your whole self to work, and so this is kind of an interesting uh, comment. So, what are your thoughts? Uh, how would you handle a situation like that as a leader? If you if you heard about these things percolating in your organization,
2: yeah, that that'd be tough because I, I really do want folks to bring 100 percent of who they are to the work environment. And if that involves the color of your hair, then so be it. We have a responsibility, I think, to the membership to make sure that we um, that we come across and that we dress and behave in professional manners for the members that we serve. But it's hard for me to see hair color being. Uh, unprofessional in that environment or that situation, and so I, I would probably the long story short, uh, I would probably err on the side of deferring to the, uh, the employee if that's something they feel strongly about. They, I want them to bring 100 percent of them to the work environment. so
0: Thank you, Jeff, for answering our listeners' question. Laquan, I hope this has helped you provide a little bit more insight for you as well and for our listeners, continue to submit your questions at info at com. All right, now we're ready to move on to another fan favorite. It turns out that our diversity thumb ball is getting a lot of traction. <laughs> diversity thumb ball is a soft soccer ball. has a lot of questions on it. So when Anthony throws it at either you, me, or Adam or Joe, we catch it, and wherever our thumb lands, we read the question and we answer it. Okay. This so I cool. hope, I, and, uh, I hope you played football or soccer or basketball <laughs> I or do have some
2: ball sport experience. All yes. right. All or right. cricket. Yeah, there you go.
3: Ready, <laughs> ready, ready, ready? All right, I'm going to throw the ball. <laughs>
0: I knew you were going to
3: do that. Sarah first.
0: <laughs> What's your generation's biggest challenge when it comes to acceptance? How long do we have right now, Joe? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sure glad you got that one.
0: Oh, gosh, Jeff. <laughs> Politics is probably one. I can't. Say it's the biggest challenge, but I know it's one of the biggest challenge when it comes to acceptance for our generation It's not a cop-out, but I think that's what we're seeing a lot of right now So I'm gonna go with politics. Well, I think
3: you're right. Yeah. Not a bad answer.
2: Wow Balls being thrown. So is it left thumb right thumb? Does it matter? Um, Doesn't matter. All right uh, Your best experience with a person of a different race ethnicity um, I'm gonna go back in time to when I was growing up in small town Marengo. Grew up in small town Iowa, grew up the graduating class of 52 kids. And small town Iowa back then, there was not really any racial diversity. But as fate would have it, my best friend, one of my best friends in elementary, if not my best friend was a guy named Van Hardy. And Van was from Vietnam um, and was the only um, black or African American in town. And so he and I ended up being best friends because of our love of the sport of basketball, and so played that together. And so, I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint it to the thumbball question of one singular best uh, experience that I had. But Van was really my closest friend for for many years growing up, and probably uh, set the wheels in motion for me to embrace diversity at an early age when nobody else really was maybe even think about it. I didn't think about it either because my best friend was, you know, was Van. Mm-hmm. So. It worked out great in that regard.
0: Yeah. Well, that's really great a story. I was hoping you would say your best experiences here yeah, right, right here, now right with now. Anthony and I. <laughs> see, we missed the boat on that.
3: <laughs> all right, so I'll just, I'm not, I'll, I'll avoid any damage. I'll <laughs> right, right. just hand it to you. I'll you flip it around. around I'll flip bit. it around. Let's see here. Well, I can't ask that. You just got to ask that question. I got to try another one. Uh, how do you respond to jokes that are demeaning and derogatory? Hmm. I think we just talked about that, that water cooler situation. And I, I am. Um, there used to be a time when I wouldn't respond, but I'm pretty, pretty sure-footed today, I yeah. respond immediately. Yeah. Um, if I've gotta pull somebody aside, they'll do it, but I do respond immediately. Yeah. Um, I think that's important. And I, I, it's, I don't wanna expand on it, but I think about so many times growing up when I've had um, some of my uh, Caucasian friends tell these jokes and I let it slide and mm-hmm. think it was a big deal and uh, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, it's good. It is difficult in those situations, especially if there are, um, you know, comments that I feel may be offensive to my particular ethnicity. Um, and that becomes a challenge. And so I think what I try to do um, is if I can address it's tone of voice, right? Tone, text, and context. If I can address it immediately with a, with a fair tone, I'll do that. Are there occasions when I've gotten uh, upset about things I've heard? Absolutely. Um, However, it's important that you address it and I don't think you leave it. So there's been situations where I've addressed it immediately, address it with anger and tone. So other situations where I pull somebody to the side, uh, but, but you gotta address it. Good stuff. And it's great stuff. That's our thumb ball. <laughs> I like it.
0: Well, Jeff, is there anything you would like to share that we have not covered?
2: Yeah, there'd be a few maybe best practices I'd just uh, maybe share with our listeners out there. And some of what we've already talked about, but just to kind of recap one, I think here in this part of the country, this part of the state, we've got to be deliberate as leaders and as organizations in our diversity efforts. You can't, you can't react to it. If you want to be successful at it, I think you've got to be proactive with it. Two, and I think we've talked about this a little bit. Actually, I'm not sure we've talked about this. So many times we, I think we talk about diversity in terms of ethnicity or, or beliefs or sexual orientation or age or income. Sometimes I think we get lost or we forget about uh, diversity in thought. The whole premise behind the importance of diversity is, is to get that variety of thought in the hope that if someone has a, a different ethnicity or a different religious beliefs or different uh, sexual orientation, that they'll have differences of thought. But that's not a guarantee. And so I don't want to lose sight or I don't want us to lose sight on the importance of diversity of thought. And sometimes I do think that gets lost in the equation. There are all kinds of Glad personality tests out there to ensure that you have that. I know even at our own senior team level, of which half are women. It's important for us to have diversity of thought, not just in terms of, again, age, income, diversity, all, all those kind of things. So,
0: so how do you assure that happens in your workplace, within your own culture, Jeff?
2: Yeah, we, use a, we do use, we're pretty aggressively use or, or using a personality assessment tool that kind of maps out everyone's personalities on four different um, areas, whether they're dominance, introversion, extroversion, patience, or formality. And so it's perhaps overly simplistic, but it's at least a start to make sure that we as a department, we as an organization, we as individuals are making sure we surround ourselves and get input from others who have different ways of thinking than we do. And so I think there are tools out there to kind of, to help us do it. The other comment I was going to make uh, was that we got to make sure we continue to lean on our subject matter experts. I don't, uh, pretend to be the expert resident expert in diversity and so we've got to lean on the people who who are who've been there Who are doing it who walk in and talk in it in their communities as well? And so I don't want to be the one to Necessarily always figure out how to best serve people of the different beliefs Because I just I don't have the same beliefs that yeah. I want to make sure I understand them But they're gonna be the resident experts, the experts the subject matter experts if you will and how we can best be represented in in their their respective areas the um, the fourth one I think we talked about was just making sure that as an organization we have that inclusion in your culture and our values. And um, it's part of the DNA, I guess, of the fabric of, of what you do. And then the final one I'd say, and th- then this podcast is part of that, is just making sure that we as a region continue to be proactive in sharing ideas. My sense is that there are a lot of organizations out there who are making efforts to improve or enhance their diversity. And so what things could or should we be doing as a community to make sure that the best practices are being shared out there with others so that we can all learn from it. Because I think we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. Yeah. So what do we do? How can we do to make this better?
0: Yeah, well, those are really great uh, feedback that you're providing. I do want to go back and hit on the one that you talked about, um, tapping into your resident expert when it comes to DNI. Yeah. This is something that I hope and I wish that each and every one of, one of us realizes that we are diverse and that we have areas of expertise to bring to the table. Right. Uh, but I also want to ask that uh, if you have a resident DNI expert, where are they? Are they sitting at your table? Are they part of your executive team? And I want to ask that because I look around the composition of corporate America, and I'm not exactly seeing that. If this position is that vital, then they should be right there as part of the leadership team.
2: Sure. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that, and that's where I think we are guilty as charged in terms of least ethnicity. Uh, diversity or ethnic diversity on our senior team. Well, I think we do outstanding in terms of gender diversity, but I don't, and, and that isn't always the case in corporate America. And so I don't want to rush past that. But in terms of ethnic diversity, at least at the senior team level within the organization, we can still get better at it. There's no way around it and stuff. So. Yeah. Well,
3: I, and I think to add to that, and again, we want to make sure, I want to make sure for our listeners, we're not here to throw your organization under the bus. So this isn't, um, yeah. but we appreciate your candor because I think what you're experiencing is, is not uncommon about, about, yeah. Amongst most in organizations, they just don't say it. Yeah. Um, but yes. I think what Cedrica was getting to is that what we see oftentimes is somebody that's been put in the position to handle diversity and inclusion within an organization. Right. They're often not at the leadership table. Yeah. And, and uh, usually it's an HR person or usually it's a, it's a secondary thought maybe there's a uh, diversity or excuse me, there's a, a strategic plan within an organization and then there's a separate diversity plan. Right. So we often see that. And so I, I think that's what you were trying yeah, to so get so to. Mo- no, and I, I thought,
0: No, 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 that's okay. And so really my question was, is when you want to lean on the resident expert, it's hard if they have to be multiple layers below in terms of the communication versus being right at the table with the part of the executive team, especially when you know that this is so crucial for the business strategy,
2: I think it's hard only if they don't if there's if their opinion or their they don't have the autonomy or the authority, maybe I should say, to make those decisions. And in our world, um, if the diversity and inclusion committee wants to do X, then we're going to do X, and it, it doesn't require a lot of uh, up and down approvals, etc. And so, at the same time, you know, I've been a part of the committee. Fred Mims, our board, uh, who's yep. on our board, has been a part of that committee as well. And so, but. I, I want to be clear. We don't. We're a relatively small organization, 550 employees. There's not. A, there's not so much bureaucracy that if the DNI group says we want to do X, that we're not going to hear them. or We're not going to do that. By and large, they're going to call the shots because they're the resident experts in that area. Now, again, it's got to be within region from a, within reason from a budgetary perspective. Uh, we don't have limitless resources but they are gonna be far more tuned to what things we could and should be doing to um, to improve our efforts yeah. going
0: forward. Jeff, I can see why Anthony was so excited to have you here on our show. We are very excited to be able to learn more about uh, what you're doing and what the Green State Community Credit Union is doing as well. And uh, I wanna thank you again for your transparency. Yeah. Yeah. Thank
3: you for having me. Thank you for your time. and appreciate And um, the conversation we had in your office certainly segued here and I appreciate it. Yeah. Great appreciate stuff, it. Again, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you to our listeners, as we wouldn't be here without your support. Help us grow our subscriber base by sharing our show with others.
3: Love this episode of Diversity Straight Up? Then head over to the most popular podcast audio platforms to describe, rate, and review us. And check out our other episodes while you're there.
0: Catch us on our next episode of Diversity Straight Up, which drops monthly.
3: We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. CBJ's Diversity Straight-up is brought to you by Collins Aerospace, City of Cedar Rapids, and Alliance Energy. It was produced by Joe Coffee of Coffee Grande Studios.
0: Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. It's not enough to simply be a leader. Be a global leader by leveraging diversity with equity, inclusion, and engagement. and share your journey. This may empower others to be bold change agents. Be courageous, be authentic, be vulnerable.
3: Diversity Straight-up
0: keeping it real.